0: Hey, everybody, I hope you're doing okay. Uh, I hope all is well. I know that sheltering in place is losing its appeal. But hang in there, keep washing your hands, and uh, it will all be over soon, one way (laughs) or another. Uh, Look, I like for the episodes of Stereo Embers the Podcast to be kind of evergreen. What I mean by that is if somebody were to come across one of our episodes like 10 years from now, the episode wouldn't sound dated. It wouldn't be grounded in a time or a place, and it would sound fresh and as vital as ever. Okay, a lofty goal. <laughs> I'm not I'm not discounting that, but that is the goal, and uh, that is the hope of the show. However, this episode, well, it's kind of an emergency episode. It's an episode that is grounded in a time and a place, and a global pandemic. That's right, this is a time-sensitive episode. I'll explain more in a second on the other side. In the meantime, I'm Alex Green, and this is an emergency episode of Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. I could be down,
1: I could be blue, I could be sorrowful over you, but tomorrow is where my mind is. I could be crying, I'm alone, I could be dwelling on my heartache, but tomorrow, things will be better, so much promise in a new day, this feeling will be so far away.
0: So why are we gathered here today in an emergency formation? Uh, By the way, that was the music of actor and musician Ed Helms. And we're gathered here today because of Mr. Helms and the bluegrass situation. The two of them have put together a four-episode variety show called Whiskey Sour Happy Hour. Helmed by Helms himself, the show takes its cue from his long-running Whiskey Sour Radio Hour shows at L.A.'s Largo. Those shows bring world class music, comedy, and interviews directly into homes across the country and the world. The Whiskey Sour Happy Hour debuted April 22nd, and it'll drop new episodes every Wednesday through May 13th. Guests include Leanne Womack, Aubrey Sellers, Billy Strings, Madison Cunningham, Chris Thiel, Yola, Rodney Crowell, Robert Ellis, and Watkins Family Hour, and more. The installments of this very unique and special variety show will benefit Music Cares COVID-19 Relief Fund and Direct Relief. Now, in case you don't know who Music Cares are, it's a nonprofit meant for musicians to have a place to turn in times of financial, personal, or medical crisis. Like, you know... A pandemic. Its primary purpose is to focus the resources and attention of the music industry on human service issues, which directly impact the health and welfare of the music community. In case you don't know about the Bluegrass situation, it's the world's largest community for American roots music, culture, and lifestyle. In case you don't know who Ed Helms is, he can currently be seen in Netflix's comedy film Coffee and Kareem, opposite Taraji P. Henson, and you might know him from The Office and the hit trilogy, The Hangover. All right, look at you. Super up-to-date. So I had a chance to talk to the Bluegrass Situation's co-founder and executive director, Amy Reitenauer-Jacobs. And this is a really cool chat because it gives you a behind-the-scenes glimpse at the struggles that working musicians have. It also tries to imagine what the world will look like for them when the smoke clears and the pandemic is over. This is a really interesting conversation, very insightful, and uh, look... Amy and I, we don't know the future, but we sort of uh, take a stab at it and try to figure out what this is all going to look like. Who really knows? But I do know this. 99% of these interviews are with musicians, and hearing their perspective about the struggles and the difficulties they face is one thing. And to hear somebody who is an executive behind the scenes in the music industry is a very interesting perspective to hear. What's great about this conversation is that Amy And Ed and the whole Whiskey Sour Happy Hour enterprise is pro-musician, pro-artist, trying to help everybody along the way because everybody could use a little bit of help. So enjoy this conversation with me and Amy Reitenauer-Jacobs right here on Stereo Embers, the emergency podcast.
1: We still have this editorial site, and we, we curate stages and festivals across the country normally. And you know, this would be entering our busy season for festivals, and everything's—it's all gone. So, you know, I think it's just about everyone pivoting and reanalyzing how our industry works. But um,
0: how much panic have you sensed from artists across across the board? Yeah,
1: I think there's there's waves, right? So I have sensed, uh, like there was the initial wave of like lockdowns happening, you know, the big fests were, were canceling or postponing. So South by and Bonnaroo and, and Coachella and stuff. Um, and, and tours are off. Right. But everybody kind of thought like this will last till the fall. I personally didn't. My stepfather is an infectious disease doc. So I think I had a different perspective on things, but, Um, but I think there was this anticipation of like, well, we'll just hunker down and we'll figure it out. And it's like, the reality is, is that our industry isn't going to look the same after this. Um, it's going to be, we can't keep referring to this as like going back to normal. There's not going to be that normal, that pre COVID normal again. Um, and so it's not about how do we pivot? in the next six months, it's how, how do we pivot for the foreseeable future? How do we pivot for the future of the industry as a whole? Um, and so I think that that's like another wave of panic of kind of like, geez, if I can't tour for a year, what it, what does it look like? Or if there aren't festivals for another 18 months, what does that look like? Um, but I also think it's an opportunity to fix something that was kind of broken to begin with. You know, Artists shouldn't have to tour 200 dates a year to uh, make a living and still have to pay their own health insurance and stuff. Right. So I think there are strangely opportunities that could come out of this if we approach it right.
0: Yeah. One of the questions I've been asking the the artists I've talked to mm-hmm. is, and I've I've sort of uncovered this the more we've chatted.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: my first question was, will you feel comfortable going back to a club and playing? Yeah. And then I thought about it and I thought, And would you also feel comfortable afterwards when you have to sort of do a meet and greet,
1: Mm -hmm. or
0: right? I mean, because you are working your own merch
1: table, all that stuff.
0: Exactly, and and the fact is, is that you know fans like to see the performers after the show. Mm -hmm. Um, They want to buy merch, they want to shake hands. Um, I've seen I've seen plenty of shows where there's a line of people wanting to do a little meet and greet, and I'm sure you have too. And it's also a very nice thing. I mean, it's cool. but you know i don't see that happening in that in the way it used to anymore
1: we're also you know having to think about how what is going to what's going to be the impetus to get fans and audience members back into venues what yeah. is going to be a big enough push to bring them in to buy a ticket right from a promoter perspective it's probably going to be a big name doing a major underplay so maybe it's rather than a more local or like mid-tier artist, it's a major artist doing six nights at a venue for 200 people. Mm. Right. Um, How does that then trickle down to the artists who would typically be able to book and sell a room out like that for one night, you know, how does that push off their touring dates? Um, And I, I think there's just so many ripples to this that, we're just now starting to think about that it it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see where it goes it's also going to be really interesting to see i think who emerges um really thinking about this differently and thinking about how you know music business is done how touring touring is done um setting standards for live shows online that are streaming i think you know the the kind of bandwidth for poor production quality live streams it's people are already kind of reaching it you know and so um but there's also ways to work around it and so i think there's you know it's it's not all dire it's just we have to we have to start thinking about these things now
0: yeah and i remember when the sweet relief record came out in the early 90s and Mm -hmm. it made for victoria williams and i i was under the assumption amy that if you put a record out or you wrote a book you lived in a mansion because those, those people to me were famous, Uh right? Like the idea of, of me ever putting out an album or a book just seemed like the likelihood of going into space was, was more probable. So those people, I held them up on pedestals and I just thought they were always fine. That was the first time. And I was just in college or coming out of college. That was the first time I realized that these people don't have health insurance, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. so when we, when you mentioned that earlier, it made me, and I've heard this a lot from people um mm-hmm. because if you're a touring musician and you get sick you don't get paid no. right if you don't play so do you think that will change and do you think are there is there discussion about how that might change like is there a union is there like what does that look like
1: i mean i think we're seeing things like like music cares is doing an extraordinary thing with um their COVID 19 artist relief fund um, which is partially why we made them one of our beneficiaries for the whiskey sour happy hour um, that that we're producing. Um, I think they're supporting artists in the ways that they can right now, um, but and you know we've seen we've seen lobbying from trade orgs and stuff to make sure that uh, that artists and musicians and you know the crew, all these people are considered um, for for. Uh, additional stimulus support, like down the line and stuff and making sure they're considered like freelancers, contractors, that kind of thing. But, but I'm not exactly seeing anything else right now, as far as like, um, a real touch point for artists in the long run to have, uh, health insurance and, and support, you know, and, and who knows, like, I think music cares is doing such amazing work, but like, how how long can that be sustained? You know, um, artists are getting when they apply, they can get thousand dollar grants from Music Cares um, if they have lost tour dates or business because of COVID. Um, but I yeah, I just I don't know how far into the future that 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 kind of plan is looking right now.
0: Yeah, it's worrisome, and it, and it's also if you look at the number of artists and creative people who have been felled by this disease, it, it really seems to, to bring a very bright light um, towards the fact that the vulnerability of, mm-hmm. I mean, of everybody, but of creative people, especially where if you don't have insurance and you, right, and you, yeah. get, you get a disease like this of which there is no cure. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I mean, obviously from John Prine to um, you know, the senior Mars- Marsalis, um, mm-hmm. the list goes on. Mm -hmm. um it's it's terrifying and i think that probably a lot of artists are very nervous in in that regard especially going back out on the road when there is no when there is no vaccine
1: and when when things are varying so greatly from state to state as well i think once one thing that's actually positive and kind of encouraging right now is that um i'm uh very involved in an organization called folk alliance international um they're a trade org uh, for for folk music, but of all different traditions from around the world, and it's very uh, it's it's a pretty big organization. It's it's very inclusive, and um, uh, so we were talking uh, recently. I was, I was speaking to some folks from from the board, um, and you know we were identifying that one of the things that people are probably going to feel most comfortable going back to at first is a house concert. Mm-hmm. They're going to feel comfortable with their neighbors or people that they know have been taking this seriously or in a similar situation or have not been infected or hospitalized. And that there's a real opportunity for us to go back to community based uh, musical and artistic programming. You know, that it's going to be when people can gather again, even if it's at a distance. Maybe it's at a pavilion or maybe it's at a park and everybody is spread out six to eight feet, but it's almost not going to, not to say the music doesn't matter, but it's not going to matter what the genre of music is. People are going to be so happy to be able to be together. And there's opportunities in that, I think, to reach new audiences and new generations. and um, And that's where so much of our musical tradition started from. You know what I mean? It was, it was community based and it was more of a, a means for a gathering than it was for just the artistic merit. Um,
0: Yeah, that's true. You're, you're making me think about like Zedekka music, mm -hmm. um, or which is all, was all house party music. Mm -hmm. Um, the blues, you know, um, that it, it feels very much like a reset in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, there's always sort of the other side of it, which is, um, you know, is that only gonna be a regional proposition? Right. Right. And what about fans? It's interesting, there's a band that I've sort of fallen in love with called Bandits on the Run out of New York. And they're sort of a um, a very theatrical folk kind of band. And they did a live stream yesterday, and they had a lot of people, and I was so pleased to see that. So, mm-hmm. you know, in many ways, it's sort of like reinventing and innovating has been terrific because you can see that people are turning up. People really want their live music fix.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah, and um, and and finding genuine ways to connect to the audience, I think it's like yeah, there. Yeah, I'm seeing more and more artists just just really tap into that.
0: Yeah, music is very powerful and profound and important to people, and mm-hmm. you know that sort of you know that connectivity is really huge Um, and to not witness it in person I think people are feeling a real on both sides are feeling a real um, absence. Performers love to perform and people Mm -hmm. love to go watch them. Um, When you when you guys decided to put this together did it did it come from was the impetus the COVID pandemic or was it coming together before that?
1: Um, It was the COVID pandemic. I mean this is not too far off from some other stuff that Ed and I have done in the past with the bluegrass situation, um, which we co-founded back in, uh, 2000, technically 2011, the site launched in 2012. Um, but you know, we, we have from the beginning, we've curated stages and festival, uh, festival events, um, and experiences that, you know kind of toe a line between comedy and roots music and music that's outside of roots but is in some way adjacent or connected and really mixed it up in an interesting way and i thought i think you know so much of what we have done with bgs over the past almost decade has been about um kind of i think challenging people's notions about what this kind of music can be bluegrass folk americana roots blues uh, and, and what it looks like today. Um, and, and, you know, who can be a fan of this or who is a fan of this? I think there's, there's a lot of preconceived notions there that we've been trying to, to, uh, kick off. Um, but I, you know, so I, I think the, the curatorial side of this is a natural extension of what we've always done, but the impetus for actually putting this series together was Okay we have a crisis. Our artistic friends and our community is struggling. Um, in addition to the, you know, the broader struggle of, of fighting this virus. Um, we have a platform. Ed has the visibility, um, of his name recognition and we need to utilize that. And so that's kind of where it all came from, you know? Um, and, and from that point on, we were just like, well, let's start putting some masks out and see who goes for it. And it was like, every person we emailed was, yes, what can I do? When do you need it? And, and just went above and beyond. So, um, it, it quickly became, I think, bigger than we anticipated in, yeah. uh, and, which is great. Um, and you know, soon we had some amazing, uh, artwork by the maid shop, which is a fantastic design firm in, in Denver, Colorado. Uh, we had a theme song that was contributed by, um, Gabe Witcher of the Punch Brothers. He also works with T Bone Burnett. Um, I mean, people just really went above and beyond. And uh, first episode was awesome. And now we're like, okay, we got three more. So yeah, um, it's it's been good.
0: I was actually really happy to be able to talk to you after the first episode aired, um, because now it's a known it's a known result. Mm-hmm. And so, can you tell me two things? One, can you describe for people who hadn't seen it? and want to tune in, um, what that looked like. And two, um, can you talk about the response?
1: Sure, yeah. So um, first of all, you can still watch the first episode. It's up on YouTube for the next 30 days. Um, And it is uh, every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific and 8 p.m. Eastern. Um, Ed is hosting um, a, a whole lineup of our musical friends his some of his comedy buddies some special guests and we've really formatted it to be an online variety show so we've actually pre-recorded most of the musical segments so that artists could really control um their audio and visual elements uh we a huge thing for us was seeing how other live streams were going and not super sold on the quality so we wanted to make sure that we had really great audio visual quality for for this series um and then Ed uh doing hosting segments in between, doing comedy bits, performing songs, um, doing Zoom calls with some of his his recognizable buddies. Uh this past week we had um, let's see, Madison Cunningham, uh David Garza, who just produced Fiona Apple's new record. Um, we had the Watkins Family Hour, Sarah and Sean Watkins of Nickel Creek. Uh we had um Leanne Womack and her daughter, Aubrey Sellers, who are both great artists in their own right. Um, And sorry, we had a lot. Yola was amazing. That was a huge highlight. And Billy Strings. So those were our musical guests. And then um, Ed also uh, featured his buddy, Matt Diffie, who is a New Yorker cartoonist and humorist. And uh, he did a a sketch. And then um, he had a Zoom conversation with Jenny Slate, just talking about being in isolation and and what it means you know as a creative and and what are you doing to keep yourself occupied and i think um it had such a natural flow and, and it felt so fun and it moved really quickly i think that was the other thing i was like wow we have a lot of content like we have a lot of amazing songs that have been contributed and uh is this going to is this going to be too long we ended up with an hour and 20 minute show and it moved so fast. And it, I think it, I mean, I'm biased, but I think it felt really good uh, yeah. and looked really good too. So, um, we're, you know, doing that for the next, uh, the coming three weeks. Um, so every Wednesday and, uh, we're streaming it through YouTube, um, and then on the com. So it's also available on Facebook, but our primary platforms are YouTube and, and the website.
0: And the money. So fi- financially yes. money that's being raised is so people can donate.
1: Yes. So we're encouraging people to donate. Um, the All the funds that are raised are going to be split 50-50 between uh, Music Cares, COVID-19 Re- Artist Relief Fund and an organization called Direct Relief, which uh, they're fantastic. They're based in Santa Barbara and they are really on the front lines providing sourcing and providing PPE supplies uh, for um, medical workers and essential workers. They, they do a lot of other things too, but they've kind of really put their focus into um, PPE supply chain.
0: How did you feel, were you nervous about when it first aired, like, who's gonna tune into this thing? And then afterwards when you saw the numbers, were you really, were you really gratified?
1: I was definitely gratified. We, we had a, what turned out to be a really good problem, I guess, but uh, we had, so we were supposed to go live at five. And we actually had so much traffic to the BGS website that the site crashed. So, um, again, good problem to have, but, uh, hard to like communicate to people like, I'm sorry, hold on, like hold tight, stay there. Um, and, uh, so eventually we got it back up and running. We got the live stream. We basically had to delay the live stream on YouTube because that was feeding directly to uh, our website. Um, And it went, it it ended up premiering uh, a little bit late, but it worked and it looked great. And the response that we got was just through the roof and the donations were awesome. I think we, we cracked 10 K for the first episode. Wow. Um, So we're hoping to uh, keep that momentum going.
0: It's funny because if my, if my site, so if, you know, if Stereo Embers Magazine crashed, Mm-hmm. Because we had too much traffic, which, by the way, has never happened. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how much traffic we're getting. It was our like, first
1: time too. I have to say, like it was. I think,
0: I think you guys do better than us. But if it crashed, I would just crawl under the bed and cry. Um, yeah, I was. I was about there. I, I mean, was right, there. like, so it crashes, and and then how do you fix that? I mean, I don't, not to get too inside baseball about no, it, but no. like, it was remote.
1: Oh yeah. Um, well, I I I was almost under the bed crying. I was I was pretty close. Um, but I was like, okay, well, what do we got to do? And it, the testament really is I just have an amazing team. And even though half of us are out in Los Angeles, half are in Nashville. We have one person on the East Coast uh, in Pennsylvania. Everybody just like locked in, uh, even when mentally I was freaking out. Um, sure. And they got it back up, and up and running. I mean, it was like, took about 30 minutes. Um, but At the same time, we still had, I mean, even at the end of that 30 minutes, we still had 800 people queued up on YouTube that had continued to wait for the episode to premiere. And then that just kept growing. I think we had uh, 7,000 views just by the end of the live stream. And then by the next morning, that had cracked 10K.
0: It's funny because you and I talking about it, we say... 30 minutes. And it sounds to someone listening at home, like that's no big deal. That must, you must've aged 40 years in those 30 minutes. I mean, yeah. it must've been absolutely terrifying. Yeah.
1: It was, it was a lot. It was, it, this was a, a big week. Uh, yeah. I'll just say that, but it also kind of, I think uh, showed us what we needed to get ready for the second week and also anticipating that like more press was coming in. Ed was doing other interviews for this. Um, the, I will say the the guests that we've been getting for the, coming three weeks have been getting bigger and bigger and bigger so I think it's only going to scale up more um and so it was it just kind of was this lesson of like this is something we need to be ready for for you know wherever this goes over the next couple weeks
0: now what happens if this thing just keeps building which I think it will um, Mm -hmm. and you guys do those four episodes is there any kind of plan in place to do more
1: currently no, because we wanted to keep this as a fundraiser to a month long fundraiser and, and really like focus people's attention. And I think bring um, an urgency to the fundraising. Right. So it's not like I'll donate next month or whatever. It's like, no, you have these four weeks and we're going to also have some matching donors come in later. Like there's, there's definitely more of a push, I think, um, to raise as much as possible for these two great organizations. Beyond that, though, I mean, I, I think this kind of goes back to what you and I were talking about earlier, which is um, there is a need for there to be more of a central hub or some kind of curation around online shows that have been yeah. popping up and will continue to grow. And so I think, you know, in the back of my mind, I don't know what this looks like yet, but is there a role that we can help play to be this central Location for people to access the music that they love, rather than like, you know, finding out after the fact that this their favorite artist did a live stream or something like that. Um, I think we already do uh, show promotion on the BGS website. Cross country, we have uh, we come on board to present shows and do show marketing, um, and so that feels like a pretty natural extension. I think in the long run to help um, kind of funnel. And, and, and maybe grow that into something else down the line. But I think, you know, we wanna still find ways to support our artists. That is number one. Number two, that I have told my team again and again, we need to focus on what we can control right now and not stress about that which we can't. So for us, what is it that we can control to help our artists community and, and to also keep our audience happy and to keep them engaged, you know? So I think that's, that's kind of what we're looking for, for the next phase. Like what can we do? What's effective? What's valuable right now? And uh, how can we make sure that we always kind of go back to that guiding principle?
0: When you talked to Ed after the first episode, what was his, what was his reaction? How'd he feel?
1: I everybody and and included was just like so happy with how the final product looked and sounded and how some of the performances were so amazing. I mean, so amazing. He was, um, he was so grateful to. I mean, even though he was, he's central to the whole show, right? It's he's the host and he's the co-founder. His gratitude um, and humility with the artists that participated was just awesome. And I think meant a lot to them as well. A lot of these people are, are personal friends of ours. And, um, we're all, (laughs) a lot of them, I would say, especially in the first episode, like we all kind of live in the same region, you know, and, and, or in, in some cases, similar neighborhoods Mm -hmm. and not seeing each other is hard, you know, it's not just about like, it's not just about the musical connections and the live shows it's about the personal connections and your friends and getting to jam with your friends and hang out and and so there also had there was this kind of sense of like there was a familial nature to it i think that was really gratifying to all of us
0: so when the fourth episode airs and you guys are done Mm -hmm. what is the next order of business for you personally? What do you have to, what's the next project you have to really focus on?
1: Um, I think, you know, we always have the, the brand at the, at the core of what we do. So that continues, right. I will still have my day to day of like setting the editorial calendar with my team and looking towards like, well, what's the next thing that we can curate or what else do we want to get involved in? Um, Right now, I, I don't know. I think um, we're, again, trying to keep that focus on like, what can we control? What don't we know about right now? Yeah. And not trying to make too many major plans for the, for the foreseeable future because everything's changing so quickly, you know? And so I think we're just trying to keep our nose to the grindstone in the editor- editorial um, turnout that we, that we have. And, and making sure that we're still putting out really good quality product every day. Um, because as long as people are at home or uh, you know this, this kind of dance of quarantine of like, as some places open up or relax a little bit more, there will be pullback again. You know, there's there, this is gonna go on for a while. And I think um, we just, if we can be something consistent for folks uh, to go back to and kind of satiate their musical craving, then we're doing our job.
0: And so ends our emergency podcast. You can see why uh, the pressing need to get this episode up You know, it's very time-sensitive stuff uh, in a very sensitive time, and uh, it all makes sense because I'm a very sensitive guy. Uh, All right, listen. Go to TheBlueGrassSituation.com. Watch the episodes. They are fantastic. Very entertaining, uh, very moving, and uh, really just a ton of great music, comedy, and amusement. Uh, I guarantee you, you will not want to miss an episode and uh, they will be up every Wednesday. So do check them out and uh, find the old episodes on YouTube before they vanish. Okay. All right. Big thanks to Amy and everyone at the bluegrass situation. Uh, Let's close things off with Madison Cunningham who kicked off the very first whiskey sour happy hour. This is such a great song. It's called looking alive. Enjoy it. And I'll see you next time right here. On Stereo Embers, the podcast only on Bombshell Radio.
2: Taking a walk down Eagle Rock, wandering with a man with their jeans, tied as a bulldog skin, listening. To the way people talk And the way people worry Turn themselves blonde When they get that sick feeling They're aging Well I've got a face she has A hard time remembering And every time that we've met her last what's your name again? people talk and the way people hurry to reach for a card when they think that you might be wasting their time. Why I looking for something, that's bound to be something to let you down. Why eyed are you sleep-deprived? if you want Be something you're looking like Taking a drive down the fire I'm a different man Well the drivers have a way of taking The last bit of goodness I had There's always something to wake you in your car Dream, flashing lights in your rear view, the hollowing scream of your own voice. Well, was that my voice? My eyes suggest something, there's bound to be something to let you down. Sleep deprival if you want to be something and hey, look alive, look alive, look alive, look alive. Yourself, turn your back on the business and leave it to sell